everybody. This is Caleb Barrows, one of the pastors with King's Cross Church, and thanks for taking the time to listen to our membership classes that we have here on this podcast. I just want to give you a brief overview of the process of becoming a member before you listen to this podcast. So um, first of all, we're going to ask you to listen to these four classes, uh, the first one that you've got right here. And secondly, after you've listened or attended these classes, to fill out a brief little application to become a member if you're interested. And this questionnaire application just tells us things about what's your church background, how did you come to know the Lord, things about family. So pretty simple, but just to get some more information uh, on your journey into faith. Then after that application, we'll have a, a member interview with Paul Brandis or I, where we just get to ask some questions about your faith and have space for you to also ask us questions about the church and things that you uh, might be curious about. And after that member interview, lastly, we will have you confirmed by the elders. However, we don't have any elders yet or even any members. So later this spring, we're going to have a member meeting where we confirm one another. Uh, So again, that process is listening to these classes or attending filling out a member application, having a conversation interview with Paul Brandis or I, and then lastly, our confirmation here later in the spring. So that's the process for becoming a member. And right now you're about to listen to our first class on why become a church member. So thanks again for giving it a listen. So tonight, let me clarify again, we are on session one. Why become a member? Next week, we're going to look at how do I become one? Thirdly, what's going to be expected for a member? And then week four is how is the church organized? So there's a lot of ground for us to cover. Um, It's actually going to get into some nitty-gritty as we go along, so that's why we want to stop and open up for questions. So as there's been things on your mind about King's Cross, why do we do it this way? What do we believe about that? As we walk through these four weeks, I hope you see this is the time to ask that question, right? This, this is going to open up that. So there's going to be a lot, again, of discussion here tonight. I want to even begin with a question. Just shout this out to me here tonight. There's a group process. What are some reasons people are skeptical of the organized church and membership? Again, you might be vocalizing one you've got in your own heart about why you're skeptical, maybe reasons you've heard before, but what are some reasons people are skeptical about organized church and membership, in, or specifically. What have you all heard before? Board meetings. Board meetings. Board meetings. Yes. Board. Yeah, you're bored in the meeting, but also like yeah, these official board meetings. Yeah, where it's like all this. Yeah. What color the carpet's going to be in the church? Those kinds of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. What some people consider hypocrisy in the church. Yeah. Hypocrisy in the church. There there are people who are members and then are representing Jesus in the church. And at times we see some hypocrisy with that. Or the eagerness to have this title, but not really (coughs) the willingness to live out the lifestyle of Jesus. Hesitations. People have been hurt by organized church. Absolutely. You know, it's a lot of people even coming into King's Cross. And this is not the first church that they've probably belonged to or been a part of. There's some deep wounds from organized churches, right? Comments that have been made that sit deeply in people. So, like, I don't know if I want to come into another group of Christians. How are they going to judge me? How are they going to look down on me? 
Um, what, I, what do I wear? What do I say? Do I know the lingo? There's all of this anxiety that really kind of gets hyped up in organized church stuff. I really feel that. Yeah, Ethan, you got a thought. Well, from my standpoint, I think it's skeptical of what exactly do they stand for? Mm-hmm. What exactly do they believe about the Bible? And how deep will they go? Yeah. I mean, are they superficial? Yeah. Or will they? are they willing to go much deeper than being superficial? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you kind of have to wonder on the outside about this organized church, what do they really believe That's right. about Scripture? Because we kind of cover up some of our beliefs because we might not be as directed on Jesus and his word as people might think, right? So what, what are we really based on? So you can wonder that from the outside. I want to be sure that they're not a Sunday morning religious social club. Absolutely. A lot of them are. Yeah, and there's a, a trend in churches, unfortunately, where they start out believing one thing, and you give a generation or two or three, and they don't believe those same things anymore. They carry that name, but they don't carry the same beliefs of that name, right? And so we can see that kind of dwindling. So King's Cross, what do, what do we really believe? We're going to clarify that. Especially next week, we're going to walk through the statement of faith. And this is going to be a really great opportunity to hear from us and ask questions about that, too. So we're going to get into those specifics. Other, other hesitations that you know people have? Church is often <coughs> to, seems to represent institutionalized evil. You know, it is the church that supported slavery in this country. Growing up in South Africa, it is the church that was behind apartheid. And, um, and it's just, it just continues. Um, churches seem to become very institutional very quickly, which yep. is needed for long-term survivability, I guess, but any evil in society tends to then, um, I don't know, the church always seems to be on the side of the powerful mm-hmm. rather than on the side of the oppressed, yeah. and we see that in America today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up with it. Uh, I've seen it here in my country of, trans- of transplant. Um, churches don't usually stand up against um, institutionalized people. It's yeah. very hard for them to do so. Yeah, so. it's a great point. When you have organized religion, religion, there typically does come with that power, and then a desire to hold on to that power and connections within our culture to that power. And we want to hold on to that, so we do actually turn a blind eye or even participate in things we should not at all. And there, there really is. History that we need to mourn is the church, right? That, that's a long history of many things that have gone on that we need to really look at as a church, don't we? Because we have to learn from that. Because we have a deep tendency to replicate those same things in our own day. Um, that's very true. So people have a deep distaste because of what the church has done, and it doesn't help if we just try to deny, right? Like, no, it wasn't. No, actually, there's some really <coughs> tragic things that have been done in the name of Jesus. Um, thankfully, our faith is not in the church. It's, it's in Jesus, right? But we have to be able to own, because of that, the things that we have done wrongly. I was doing a lot of, doing a lot of reading this summer on the church in Germany mm-hmm. and how something like 70 to 80 percent of churches supported Hitler. Yeah. Um, and you look at that and you wonder why people get discouraged and despondent for the church. Mm-hmm. Because I do as a Christian. I look at the German church and I think, this is, this is horrifying. Um, and so I think the church is a sickness that I don't quite know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think it's easy to highlight voices like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, yeah. but forget right, the, 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 the many, the many that were silent. Um, and again, easy to also point the finger backwards um, at other moments in history rather than saying presently in our own day. 
surely we are missing things, right? Surely there are moments in our own story today that how are we as King's Cross thinking about and addressing these things? We have much room to grow in that. Absolutely. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it, Marjorie. Um, what do you consider the organized church? Yeah. Is it a denomination? Is it mm-hmm. when we have elders and all that? Yeah. Or? Excellent question. What do we mean by the organized church? We actually do mean what we're doing right here tonight. And so we, we know that there is what we call the universal body of Christ. We like this kind of, the, the Christians everywhere, those that follow Jesus, they're not necessarily tied together by any explicit human organization, right, that we're, that we're tying together, that you can see and notice. We just have this connection in Jesus. Um, so we believe in that. But there's also this local church expression where we come together and we have a bond and we have even like a statement of faith that we believe. We have bylaws about how we're organized because we need these things to clarify how we operate. So we're becoming organized. And there's some real benefits that flow from that because we can work together in better ways, right? We can achieve things we could not achieve alone, but a lot of people, they see this organized thing and they've had bad experiences, so they step away. So I do mean us, King's Cross. We, we are an organized body. We, we are coming together. And that's why we need to look at this tonight. Why, right? Because there are some hesitations. So why would we do this? If people have an issue with the organized church, why are we organizing? So this, this is a question we want to wrestle with tonight. Why? A, are we going to have a list of do's and don'ts? Now, in the church that we have, I went to yeah. before, they had a book about that that, that told you what you could do and what you couldn't do, you know? Yeah. I sure hope we don't have a book like that. Well, uh, no plans. I didn't know if that was the no. Well, it's a great moment. You do have a book on your on your table. It is not a book of do's and don'ts. Um, but actually, I, I do want to highlight. Uh, That's session five. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll get there. It's going to be a long session. No, I think we do we do have one book, right? The scriptures that we want to follow. And it's out of out of the gospel about who are we in Jesus because of what He's done for us. And we got to start with that good news. That's this proclamation of something that has been done. That's, that's news, right? We've talked about this before. Maybe big it's indicative, right? This is something has happened that we're being told about. That's what changes our lives. Not what we can do, but we do change because of that news of what God has done for us and our trust in him. And so then there's a loving of neighbor in all of these things, but it won't be healthy to us if we have a book of to-dos and don'ts. Jelaine, we'll jump in here. I've been to the Assembly of God, yeah. to the Methodist, and I have been to the Baptist. And I've just been going to the church here since February. And oh my gosh, it is so wonderful. I just don't know how to yeah. explain it. That it has changed my life since February, and I know I need some more changes, but oh, I just don't want nothing to happen to this church like it is now. Amen. I, I, just hearing it from Jelaine that this has been a great experience since February since you've been <coughs> here, seeing God work in you and this body, not wanting things to change. And and I don't want that either. You know, and maybe in fifty, seventy years things change that we can't control, but we get to trust Christ right now. Lord, how do you want to build this body in the here and now? And how do we do that in a way that we will be faithful to your gospel and to you, Jesus, and to loving the people around us? Again, I know Darren shared a book with Nicole. Uh, I was just seeing this first little item that a lot of people are turned off to the church when they first walk in by the welcoming spirit that people have or they don't have. And I praise God that you guys have been amazing at this, right? So welcoming to people. Because I hope this comes from we've been so welcomed by Jesus. 
And we know the way he's received us. So I can't wait to come here to this body, not so that what I'm going to receive, but so I can pour out and love on other people. Is we have that mentality shift that changes everything. Um, we're going to have more space for questions, but I want to dive in or else we might be here till 9 and we got some bedtimes for kiddos and other things. So let me move through some stuff here. This first one, membership helps the church. This is number one. Why become a church member? Membership helps the church mature because it calls for committed love. So that first blank is mature. Membership helps the church grow, mature, because, and hear this, it calls for committed love. Now, I have a, there's a Christian satire news site called the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you've heard this before. They have some amazing headlines. Uh, they had a fake headline that hit this hesitancy people feel. Um, and the headline is this. It says, man refused to join local gym, claims he's just part of the universal gym. Okay? And, and this is how, this is the article here. Let me read this. It says, Toronto. Local man Tim Ribidoux has refused to join a local gym, claiming instead that his membership in the invisible universal gym should be enough to get him into shape. He says, yeah, I'm not really into the whole organized fitness thing, he told reporters, stating that he's been burned a few times by gyms that didn't cater to his every whim. I'm into fit- fitness, but I'm not religious about it. He also launched into a long diatribe about the hypocrisy of other people he sees at the gym who are working out but aren't perfectly fit yet. That really turned me off to the whole institutional exercise thing. It's just not for me. And Ribidoux states that he simply exercises on his own time whenever he feels like it with no disciplined routine or partners to keep him accountable. I like this. Nature is my gym, is what he says. This article concludes saying... At publishing time, sources had been able to confirm that Rubido hasn't exercised in 14 years. <laughs> so again, Babylon Bee is a fictional satire news site, but it's making a point here, right? I just want to bring out two caveats. We, we do believe in the universal church. We, we have these creeds we read that say things like, I believe in one holy Catholic, not meaning Roman Catholic, which we clarify for you, Catholic in the old meaning of the word, universal that the body of Jesus is not just here in Rice County or in this room. The body of Jesus is in South Africa. It's in England. It's in Taiwan. It's all across the world. So we do believe in the universal church. This is a beautiful thing that we are a part of. I also want to clarify, it's possible to grow in Jesus and not be a part of a local church. Well, be careful in this. Even say missionaries that are overseas entering into new places where there's no church and they're bringing the gospel here. Don't want to say that they can't grow, right? Clearly not. They can grow. There is that possibility, but I do not want to minimize how pivotal the local body of Jesus is to our growth. And increasingly today, there's a solo Christianity thing where I don't need other believers of the church. I'm just going to be at home, sitting on my couch, watching it on TV. And we are missing something in that. We're being deceived about our growth and maturity. So hear this point. We can talk about like the universal gym, and I, I don't need this place to really get in shape. But hear this point. We really do need one another to grow. Um, so consistently, what keeps you accountable to grow and get in physical shape in a gym, this accountability from other people, is also what we need from one another in the local church to be increasing in our love of Jesus. We need this for one another. Maybe some pushback 
you might have is, okay, Caleb, I get you. Like, that's a reason why I should attend church, okay? Maybe I should come on Sunday mornings, but, like, do I need to be a member of the church? Do I need to have this committed thing going on? And this is where I want you to look at that second part of the phrase we have there, where it says, membership helps the church mature in Jesus because it calls for committed love. Look at this passage here that Jesus speaks in John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the way the world around us is meant to recognize who is a true follower of Jesus is by our love for one another. But how can they see that unless we are actually connected to one another? No? And look at all these commands that are in Scripture that I have listed out for you. Bear one another's burdens, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Live in harmony with one another. These are very difficult commands to follow. All the more if you're only following them from your couch at home, via TV. You know what I'm saying? We cannot do solo Christianity and do the Christianity that Jesus has called us to. Because it's hard. And bearing one another's burdens is not fun. It's not easy. And we need a committed love. So if we're only a part of the church in our attendance, it's really easy for us to check out when the going gets difficult. And I don't mean check out when the doctrine gets thrown out the window. That might be a good moment to check out. And so you should check us and maybe look for other churches when you hear the gospel no longer preached. But when it becomes tough because of expectations of love towards one another, you know what I'm saying? That, that's why membership is so key. It holds us accountable. It makes us press in more deeply towards caring for one another. It's the same thing we see in marriage, right? You have a committed love with another person and you've promised yourself. Does that deepen your love for the other person? Yes, right? That's why marriage is so powerful. You're saying, I'm with you and for you in the hardest times. And why that relationship is different. In the same way in the local church, we don't want a shallow voicing of, yes, I'm with you on Sunday morning, but we want to say, I'm going to be with you and for you unto Christ's likeness, even when it's really hard. And that, that's, that's what we're saying in membership. This is beautiful. You see this. Um, I want to open up for questions here in just a second, but uh, two more caveats real quickly. This does not mean... We're not trying to love other Christians in our community. Clearly want to do that, and around the world. It's not saying this is the only group of Christians that we love. Nor does it mean that we don't love people who aren't Christians. That's not what I mean either. But there is a specific command to really love a body that you're a part of. For instance, look at this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think that's broad, but it's also like, who's in your household? Because it's easy to say, I love Christians everywhere, which, in other words, you love Christians nowhere. You know? I love everybody out there, but it's the specific neighbor Christian in your local church that this needs to be expressed to. Those of the household of faith. So again, membership, the why here, is that you'd be looking around in this room and say, I'm, I'm committing myself, by the grace of Jesus, to love these people. You know? That these will be the people I share my life with. 
that I share the gospel with, that I share my hurt and my difficulties. I'm going to be committed to this group and bear their burdens and forgive them. I'll, I want to grow with you. That's why membership is so important. I know we got to keep moving. Any, any questions before I turn this over to Paul from that first section? Membership helps us mature because of committed love. Sit in that for a while. All right, I think I'm going to turn this over to you, Paul. we got a lot more ground to cover. Yeah, I love uh, the marriage metaphor for that point because I think it drives it home. Metaphors break down uh, at a certain point. No metaphor is perfect, but it does give an image for one of the things that we're trying to do here. Uh, regularly attending a church, you're dating. Membership class is the engagement phase. You guys have taken the next step. Caleb and I proposed to you. You said yes. Uh, but there's something mysterious that happens when a couple gets married and when a couple makes vows to one another. And those are, it's not magical, but it's mysterious um, because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Well, this is the church and, and Christ is our head. And Christ is our, as the church, is our husband, and we are his bride. And so there is a parallel there, I think, even between uh, marriage and what we're doing in church membership. And, yeah, divorces happen. Um, I think even Jesus gives allowance for that. Um, that's a controversial topic that we'll leave to the side, right? But you might get divorced after you get married. Um, and you might, like renounce or revoke or resign your membership in a local church. Certainly, if there is false doctrine being taught, there might be other reasons. Um, But if you're married to a church, if you're a member of a church, it's just like a little bit more than dating someone, right? You're going to think twice, three, four, five times before you head to the end. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, So we understand the seriousness of the commitment, but the commitment uh, sort of catalyzes the love that the New Testament is so clear about, we listed a few of those one another commands. There's like 43 of them. And man, when a community is practicing that in abundance, it's just a really rich and beautiful place, like Tulane is, is saying. So we actually, far from <coughs> membership changing who King's Cross is, our hope and prayer and what we'll work towards in this is that it actually deepens and makes more beautiful what's happening here. Um, we can't promise that. There are no promises. I mean, the only thing that I've ever promised, and Caleb and I have ever promised, is that we won't be a perfect church, <laughs> right? But we'll certainly apologize when we get it wrong and, and seek to uh, correct those mistakes and make it better. But moving forward, uh, another helpful metaphor here. Again, metaphors break down. This one comes uh, in the book Church Memberships. So we got one of these for each household. Um, so if you, you take one home, with, uh, if you're here with your uh, husband or wife tonight, um, and, uh, and if you didn't grab one, kind of where you were sitting, there's some extras that are sitting uh, over on, yeah, right behind Brent there on the, uh, on the bench. So make sure you get one of these. Uh, this is a group called Nine Marks. Uh, this is a kind of a, a church group out of D.C., uh, senior pastor in a church um, in the D.C. area, Mark Dever. Uh, is, and, and do not agree with like 100% of everything that Nine Marks put out or any, even 100% of what's in this book, but some really solid, great stuff. Um, so if you read it and you're like, oh man, is that exactly what King's Cross believes? Uh, you can certainly ask a follow-up, but really helpful kind of book. And there's a great metaphor. Um, this is number two. Membership is the official recognition 
of who belongs to the body of Jesus. I don't know which blanks those are. Which blanks are the blanks? Which words are the blanks? Official. Official and recognition. Okay. Membership is the official recognition of who belongs to the belongs. Belongs. Uh, so th- one of the metaphors that this book unpacks about what the church is, is it's like an embassy, an embassy. So this is uh, the Olympics kickoff tomorrow, right? So we'll be uh, these kind of every couple of years, we really, our vision is raised up for how big the world is through the Olympic Games. That happens in other ways and should happen maybe even more than it does. But I know for me, the Olympics is a catalyst for me to be reminded of how big the world is. And you think about all these other countries and how many of them the United States has embassies in. And if you travel to that country and if you ran into any sort of problem there as an American citizen, one of the first places that you would want to go is the American embassy. In fact, it's actually, even though it's in another country, it is a, it's actually a piece of American soil in sort of the, the, the agreement between countries. It's in a piece of American soil in a different country. And as a citizen of America, it's a place where you want to go because that, that uh, your citizenship of our country, it, it's a big deal. They're, they're sort of saying, they're, you're one of ours, right? And in another country... Uh, an embassy is that place where if you had any problems, that's, that's home base for you. Uh, the church, right, that we know that ultimately God is king over all and sovereign over all, right? But the world, including the world, of course, but the world is in a state of rebellion. And so churches act as embassies or outposts uh, as God's kingdom is in the already but not yet state. So God's kingdom is already here. God's already king. He's already reigning. It's part of why king is in the name of our church is because we want that constant, repetitive reminder that Jesus is king and Lord over all. Goodness, I say that to the students. Every, why do we gather for worship at Sterling College Chapel? It's because we believe that Jesus is Lord over all, even Lord over death. He defeated the ultimate enemy, death. So he is king over all, but there's a, there's a very clearly still a brokenness, a deep brokenness to this world. And there's a deep rebellion that still exists in this world. And so does that not raise your vision for what the church is? To know that in the midst of what is deeply broken still, we function, man, it's like, what a privilege to function as an embassy in this rebellious uh, place that is in the process of uh, coming back to its rightful king and being renewed back to its rightful king. And what's an important document at an embassy? What What would they want proof of when you show up at that embassy that to say you're part a citizen of this country, not of another. A passport. So as the local churches, healthy local churches are embassies in a broken and rebellious world, part of the renewal process of, of bringing back this rebellious world to its rightful king, your passport is your document that declares you are a recognized and official member of that country of the country of God's kingdom. So it's a helpful metaphor and it it's uh, it's because it'd be hard like how would we uh, how would we give out passports for the universal church? Like you need like a local organized group to be able to say we have 
there's been some process, just like there is a process for getting a passport, there's been some process where as best we can tell, because again, metaphors break down and we're dealing in spiritual realities at the end of the day that ultimately God sort of answers for, but as best as we can tell, this person is a faithful and committed follower of Jesus, and as we've defined what it means to be a member in good standing, that's, that's what this person is. So we, we, are, we are sort of stamping them with a, a passport that they are part of the embassy, they're part of this outpost uh, of God's kingdom in this broken and rebellious world. So the author of this book, Jonathan Lehman, he writes about giving the, the, the local church the authority to really na- uh, lead this process in the life of Christians. He says, the Bible establishes the local church as your highest authority on earth when it comes to your discipleship to Christ and your citizenship in Christ's present and promised nation. There are things which we alone, which we alone as Christians don't have the authority to do, but as a collective body and local church, we do have the authority to carry forward. Um, we get to some of those things a little bit later. So uh, that's a helpful metaphor. Let me see if I'm missing anything here. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of already hit on this, but as... Just as a passport and citizenship comes with certain rights and privileges, so then also being a member of a church comes with certain rights and privileges. So this process is important, um, secondly, because it's an official recognition of who belongs to the body of Jesus. Questions about that? Okay. Number three, back to Caleb. This is back to our youth ministry days. We, we do dueling sermons. We make the students vote on who they like more. There's always two. Yes, that third one this is great because we can leave a little bit more time for questions at the end. Get kids home here too. But number three, membership gives elders, pastors clarity and who to care for. Clarity and who to care for. Again, membership gives elders, pastors clarity and who to care for. So kind of build off that citizenship model. Uh, If someone from, say, Ethiopia was to apply to the U.S. for help in a certain situation, uh, the U.S. would not be responsible to them to give care in a legal sense if they're not a citizen of the United States, right? But if I, as a citizen, I'm living in Ethiopia and I'm I'm requesting help, there there is a legal responsibility from the United States to help me, right? I'm I'm a citizen of the United States. And so that's my country. They're, they're going to care for me. That's how we kind of operate overseas. In the same way, the local church, we're saying I'm going to be providing care for this group of people, right? And we can't do that for the entire world, but we are called to love certain people. So let me make this a little bit more clear. The, this uh, idea of shepherd elder in scripture, pastor, is actually a word that just means uh, a shepherd, you know, someone who's watching over sheep. And we see that in the New Testament, this term shepherd is used interchangeably, the same with the word elder or overseer. So we see these kind of used both. Um, so in Acts 20, 28, for instance, you have a, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Or again, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So 
not just for Paul and I here who are pastors at this moment, but for the long term of King's Cross. I hope this has a life far beyond us. We, we want those pastors, elders who are part of the church to know who are they most responsible to care for, right? Of course we want to love everyone here in Lyons, people that are other Christians at other churches and those who are non-believers, but there is a specific call, see here, to oversee and to shepherd the flock God has given, right? But we'll take, who are those people? There needs to be a specificity to who they are, and membership helps clarify that, helps draw that out, so that as we're accountable to, to God, to give an account one day for what we spoke, the truth, how we counseled, how we cared for his sheep. We're going to give an account for that. But I won't be given an account for how I shepherded the people in Tajikistan. You know? Because I don't have access not there. Those, those are not the sheep, part of this household of faith, this flock. But the Lord will, will hold me accountable for how I pastor you all, what, what I teach to you all, how I care for you. Again, if someone is just attending and, and not a member, it's not I mean we're gonna, not going to care for them. You hear me? But, but again, we're looking for this clarity of who's saying, I belong to this body. And we want to make sure that we specifically are leading that group of people towards a deeper maturity in Jesus and who we care for. So this is where membership is also important. Any questions on that one? Number three. I'm making really good pace here tonight. This is great. Go for it. The the church um, that Paul and I came from or here, um, one of the things that we were really poor at, um, and I I come from, uh, for those of you that don't know me, and that's most of you, (laughs) uh, I'm retired law enforcement officer, chief of police, and I, I spent military and civilian law enforcement, I've spent 30 years. Uh, and so it, it kind of comes naturally to me to serve. Uh, but one of the things that, that we were really poor at was taking care of our membership. Mm-hmm. Membership in a church is a family. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like if my, um, my brother, my brother by blood, um, if, if he needed something, why why would I give that to him? And by by helping my brother, I get joy and satisfaction from that, and, yeah. and I feel blessed. And sometimes when people turn down our our help, they're robbing us of a blessing. So as a church body, as a membership, there should not be anyone in that body that has a need. Mm-hmm. We're all responsible to our brothers and sisters in Christ to address it if there's a need. Yep. And unfortunately, people will have needs and they won't bring it forward so it doesn't get addressed mm-hmm. because you can't fault your brother or your sister if they don't know. Mm-hmm. I used to tell my people that you are no good to me and you are no good to the public that you serve if you don't get yourself healthy. That means physically as a police officer psychologically. You you have to be healthy. So we should be in the business of making sure that our body of believers, our membership, are healthy. Mm-hmm. And if we're healthy, then we're more able to reach out and do with what our Lord commanded us to do. Yep. Um, so yeah. it's a family, and, and I, I, that, that's very important. 
That's a great point, because even as I have this, it's not just clarifying for elders, pastors, right? It's clarifying for everybody who I really want to be committed <coughs> to in love so that we can share one another's burdens that we were talking about before. I just want to highlight one point, too, as well, that Paul's talking about with this passport and uh, kind of the, the embassy motif, too, around, as elsewhere in the community, as people see King's Cross, there will be this sense of, like, some people say, I, yeah, I'm a part of King's Cross, but they only, only come, like, once or twice, you know? And then people are seeing their life, and they're understanding what King's Cross is because of that person's life, because they think they're a part of it, you know? But r- really, they're not. So this membership actually helps clarify and work against hypocrisy in our community. Do you get that? Because it's actually like, no, these are the members. These are the per people that are representing Jesus. As we're saying, you, you have this passport. You are a representative of Jesus in our community. And so it actually helps us hold people accountable. Say if they're living in a way that actually doesn't honor Christ, there's a process of, of separating them right from the body and saying that, like, actually, you're not representing Jesus right now. And that's important for holding people accountable. But how do you do that if there's no organized body to do that with, right? There's no structure there so people can live however they want and say they're a Christian. And then our world gets really confused why Christians look the way they do. And part of the reason this is so prevalent, this hypocrisy that people are so turned off by, is because membership has fallen apart in local churches. Do you get that? I just wanted to build that out a little bit more. So that's why it's so important, because we as a body get to hold one another accountable so that those outside can more accurately see who really is following Jesus, who's representing him. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Paul here. We've got one last little bit to cover and then some questions. Yeah, I think that piece of we hold one another accountable um, to sort of a, a life that reflects the way of Jesus is important because you, know, you may have been a part of or be aware of um, different churches where the pastors or the shepherds or the elders, um, they were the only ones that got to hold everybody else accountable. And when their lives didn't match up, well, they were the leaders. So, you know, boo to you kind of thing. Uh, and so it actually can. Some people, going back to our earlier conversation of like questions around organized religion or why would I be hesitant about joining a church, is it's like, well, I, I suffered spiritual abuse at the hands of a pastor. You know, and so uh, there's a there's sort of a mutual sort of holding one another accountable in the midst of all of that where, um, you know, just because Caleb and I are pastors doesn't mean we're not perfect, right? We will fail you. Uh, and so there has to be sort of a, a mutuality in the midst of all of that and not a, um, I mean, this is Jesus 101 on leadership, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus on leadership 101 is the Gentiles, with, when it comes to their authority, what do they do? They lord it over you. But not so with you. That's what the Gentiles do. They lord their authority over those that they lead. But not so with you. Instead, whoever would be first among you shall be last, and whoever will be last shall be first. For the Son of Man did not even come to be served. You know, the king of this kingdom did not come to be served, but instead to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the model of leadership in this embassy. And so there. Well, there is a sense of we need to hold one another accountable so that we actually are living in the way and walking in the way of Jesus, but that never uh, should result in spiritual abuse, and all too often it has. Um, so, and actually to that point, uh, that's, wow, great transition, Paul. <laughs> Membership gives the congregation a vital role in decision-making. 
about it, right? Because um, checks and balances are a good thing. Founding, founding fathers are pretty smart, y'all. Um, there's this idea in Protestantism especially uh, about the priesthood of all believers. And it's kind of found in a lot of different places, but a ton of it's anchored in a beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 4. So I'll just read a few verses here. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave them gifts to do everything, and then nobody else would have to do anything. Wait, no, that's not what it says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until when? Well, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you hear the universality and mutuality of that process? Did you also hear how far we are from attaining it? <laughs> right? Uh, we're doing this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood. So there's sort of a perpetual chasing after this goal in churches, but we're all doing it and we're all accomplishing it. So leadership's goal is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. That's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And so under that idea, even as a church plant, a lot of the early decisions and even still current decisions is made by our staff, which is myself and Caleb and Ashley. Uh, we also have already begun to equip for the saints the work of ministry. It's why we recruited a launch team. It's why we established uh, launch team uh, team leaders for uh, hospitality, for tech. I mean, you heard Caleb mention that Travis leads our tech team. He doesn't just serve in that space. He leads in that space. And so many of you uh, otherwise are already engaged in the works of ministry. Uh, so we're already doing this. And uh, membership allows us to formalize um, some structures. The formal term for this, don't fall asleep on me, is church polity. How is the church organized? And we get kind of almost a whole session on that and really drill down into the specifics. But from a 30,000 point view, there's a lot of different opinions on this. And for us, it's kind of a secondary issue. We've made a decision on it. We've organized, we want to organize in a particular way. But I'm not going to like, you know, throw, throw, you know, get into a fist fight with anybody about this. Some people would. But to me, this is kind of a secondary issue. There's lots of good people that think differently. But we believe that checks and balances are a really good thing. And so uh, an image, and even can you, write this, you can write this down, an image that is helpful when you think about our 30,000-foot polity is a three-legged stool. A three-legged stool that only has two legs isn't going to be very good. Okay, so we, right now our three-legged stool at King's Cross for the last 15 months has only had one leg. We really need the other two legs, y'all. Uh, and it's okay. We're growing into it. It's part of what it means to be new and be a church plant. Uh, one of the legs is staff. Church staff is one of the legs of, of our three-legged stool. Uh, one of the other legs is a confirmed and sort of agreed-upon uh, official membership. So it's not the whole congregation because 
mean, you guys, not 100% of the congregation is here tonight. And we know other people are going to join in on the podcast, and maybe we'll jump in next week, and they'll become members when we offer the class next time. But the membership is one of the other legs. So the, the official members of the church are one of the other legs. And then elders, which we have more content coming on, kind of what we really believe about elders, but that's the other leg. So elders, staff, and the official membership of the church make up the three legs. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, so the ultimate authority of all churches, and certainly of King's Cross, rests with him. But from a, um, how, from a church polity perspective, the ultimate authority of those three legs lies with the congregation because they affirm, they sort of nominate and affirm who the elders are. Then the elders, they oversee the staff. And then the staff carries out the operations of the church, the main operation of the church, we just read about in Ephesians 4. It's to equip the members and the congregation to help in the works of ministry. So do you see the mutuality of those three and how it's a really solid uh, stool if you have all three working? And there's checks and balances within the midst of that. Um, so that one, right, so that's just like our three branches of government. You can't sort of have one branch that runs ahead and dominates everything because there's proper checks and balances. Brilliant idea, right? Same concept in the church, and I, I think it, it really works. So if you wanted to name this type of polity, you might say it's elder-led congregationalism. You could just say congregationalism, but there are some congregational churches where they're, they're really, if, they're, if there aren't elders... Um, it might just be like a ton of different committees. There's just a lot of different structures. And congregationalism at its worst can genuinely believe like we all get together and we all just do a straight vote on every decision. Trust me, that's terrible. Nobody wants that. That's the kind of church that Jelaine doesn't want to be a part of. <laughs> no, but none of us. It's, it's, the, it's, really, it's really bad. Like nobody wants to do that, right? But I can actually see why it's almost like a pendulum reaction against churches where there was spiritual abuse that happened. Because if it's just elder-led, and if there's no like terms for elders, and if there's no chance for the congregation to affirm or say, no, that's a bad idea, then you can run into a lot of problems where you, you get people that kind of are consolidated in power, and there's no check and balance against that. And so we don't want just straight, pure, democratic congregationalism where we're voting on every decision and it's 51%, you know, 50 plus, 50% plus one. Trust me, that's terrible. But we also don't want pastors and elders to just be able to run amok without some sort of check and balance on their power. So the elders are serving at the pleasure and at the affirmation of the congregation. The elders are ultimately overseeing and in some way, like, Hiring or um, like reviewing the staff to make sure that the staff is carrying out the operations of the church in a way that then equips the congregation. So there's a mutuality and sort of a, a flow that happens there. So that's a 30,000 foot view and kind of an image to keep in mind for what, how our polity works. And you can see why we're so motivated to get this going. We've only had one of those legs. <laughs> Now, we've had an awesome congregation that has already been well-equipped for the works of ministry, uh, but 
we want to sort of say, okay, who's committed to us for the long term in membership? And then that allows us to nominate and call and affirm elders so that we have that third leg. So um, there's some biblical examples. Actually, we think of this at work. So Acts 15, the apostles and elder in, elders in Jerusalem, they come together and there's this massive debate about what are we going to do about these Gentiles? Uh, you know, this thing started as just a Jewish faith, but oh my goodness, the Gentiles now have the spirit. Well, what do we do with that? And it seems like they're walking in the ways of Jesus. Um, Massive, massive first moment. And James, brother of Jesus, by the way, how about that journey for him? Uh, He is one of the elders and he proposes a solution. And then this is what it says in Acts 15, 22. Then it seemed good, catch this, to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. It's not just the apostles and the elders, but with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So it seems, and there's another example even in Acts 6, where there seems to be some sort of process of, hey, there's leadership here, and there's respect for that, but we don't know, were they voting? Maybe. But there's some sort of, like, how does the whole church agree on something? Um, And so, yeah, again, this is a uh, description of the earliest church, and there's been a lot of under God's, guiding and leading over the centuries, like a lot of development in the church. So it's a description, not always a prescription of what we have to do, uh, but we think in some ways it kind of describes this polity that we're, we're aiming for. So, so for us to develop as a healthy church, we need to discern who should be allowed to vote and who shouldn't be. Who is this congregation that we really call King's Cross and then call together to vote? And that's not like, again, really that's we're aiming probably just for one meeting a year where we're voting. And the big thing we're doing is voting elders, and, uh, and this is one of the other areas, right, of we already have great congregants who lead in these areas, but a, a big question I'm sure a lot of you have is church finances, and that is a spot where we want to be really transparent, we want to be really open, um, it's a spot where, man, how, I mean, how often, you do not have to go very long regularly checking the news before you hear of another pastor or church where financial abuse occurred. So we already have good checks and balances in those uh, ways. If you're wondering, Tony, raise your hand. If you have questions about our, our finances, Tony already leads our finance team, right? But we, we actually, that's a spot where we'd love to have full transparency for the entire membership to vote on our budget and to say, okay, here's, you know, we, we like the budget that's been proposed and we're going to vote on that. Those are two big votes. And so the power lying with the congregation in those moments. So questions about that. There's more on elders and all of that, but questions on that, like, high 30,000-foot view of polity. Clear as mud. (laughs) So confusing, it's not worth asking. (laughs) I think you got it. I think you're good. Is that right? I think yes. It's awesome. Um, Thank you guys for taking time to be with us tonight. I just want to affirm, I know we're doing this for the next four weeks, and I, I know this is like a real time sacrifice that you guys are giving uh, to either listen to this or be here tonight, but I hope you understand what this means for King's Cross as a foundation, right? That, that what we're setting up in a membership, I hope, is a, a foundation that God's building by his grace that will last a very long time, and so we want to do this right, we want to do this thoroughly, and have your input and questions so that we can build a really healthy church. Right? <clears throat> that this vine's going to grow on a really strong, healthy trellis that's going to last a long time. So we want to give deep thought to this. So again, thank you for your thoughts tonight.